1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles this morning, love to have you turn over there with us. We're going to be focusing today at communion on the message of the cross. The people at Corinth, the church there, were good people. They were a lot like a lot of us. They had a tendency to get caught up in the people rather than in Christ. And so some are going around saying, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, and whatever. And I got baptized by him or him or him. And they started comparing. And Paul said, you know what, I, I don't want to get wrapped up in that. Because it doesn't matter who baptized you. It doesn't matter who led you to Christ. That isn't what important. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. And when he writes to them in chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17, this is what he said. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. doesn't mean baptism is bad. It is. He just said, my focus is not on who I baptize. It's who is hearing the gospel, preaching the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Look at this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray for a moment. God, thank you for this word. It's so precious. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for the message of the cross. It saved my life, many in this room, many who are listening with us right now online. And I pray today, God, as we open up this word, as we come to this table, that you'll be honored. It's such a privilege for us to be able to come and to lift our voices and our praise along with brothers and sisters all over the world that have fallen in love with you. And we love because you first loved us. So God, be honored by our time today and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Message of the cross. I was uh, reading a piece a couple of years ago by Henry Nguyen. Henry Nguyen is a Dutch Catholic priest, professor, writer, theologian. He wrote a book called Our Greatest Gift, and in it he, was, he told this uh, make-believe story of twins in a womb and a the conversation they're having and the dialogue between this twin sister and this twin brother about the whole birth process. And the whole point of the thing was how a message, no matter how true, can seem foolishness to some. Here's how he wrote it. The sister said to the brother, I believe there's life after birth. (laughs) Her brother protested vehemently, no, no, this is all there is. This is a dark and cozy place and we have nothing else to do but to cling to the cord that feeds us. The little girl insisted, there must be something more than this dark place. There must be something else, a place with light where there's freedom to move. Still, she could not convince her twin brother. And after some silence, the sister said hesitantly, I I have something else to say, and I'm afraid you won't believe that either. But I think there's a mother. (laughs) Her brother became furious. A mother, he shouted. What are you talking about? I've never seen a mother. Neither of you. Who put that idea in your head? As I told you, this place is all we have. Why do you always want more? This is not such a bad place after all. We have all we need, so let's be content. The sister was quite overwhelmed by her brother's response, and for a while, she didn't dare say anything else. But she couldn't let go of her thoughts, and since her brother was the only one she could talk to, she said to him finally, don't you feel these squeezes every once in a while? They're quite unpleasant and sometimes even painful. Yeah, he answered, but what's so special about that? Well, she said, I... 
I think these squeezes are there to get us ready for something else, for another place, much more beautiful than this, where we'll see our mother face to face. Don't you think that's exciting? The brother didn't answer. He was fed up with the foolish talk of his sister and felt that the best thing would be to simply ignore her and hope that she would leave him alone. You know, when I read that story by Henry Nguyen, I thought, some messages are so true that they seem like foolishness to some when they hear it. The message of the cross is like that. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. That's what Paul was writing to this Corinthian church, reminding them that it doesn't matter who baptizes you, it doesn't matter who led you to Jesus. What matters is that you have Christ at the center. And the message of the cross is all about Jesus, the gospel, the good news of salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the very message we're remembering today in communion. You know, over the years, we've tried to remind ourselves communion is a memorial. It's a ratification of sorts for you and me who believe Jesus. It's, it's an acclamation that we are now members of this new covenant in his blood, purchased for us by his sacrifice. We've told people over the years that eating this meal won't get you forgiven and won't get your Sins forgiven, it won't get you into heaven, it won't earn you any grace, it won't make you a Christian. The only way to be saved from what sin has done in separating us from God is by faith believing in the Lord Jesus. Believing that his death on a cross was sufficient payment for your sin. That he was buried in a tomb and three days later rose again. That he conquered sin, death, and the grave and he's alive. And he's offering hope and forgiveness and eternal life if you will believe and receive him. Eating this meal will not do that for you. But this meal does remind us again of the message of the cross, which is the power of God to save. It's the power of God to save. Paul told the Corinthians that the message of the cross was either foolishness or the power of God to save you. There was nothing in between. That's why he said in verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. If the message of the cross is foolishness, that's the evidence, the verification that you are perishing. But if you have believed this message, that's the evidence that the power of God has been released in your life. You're being saved. The word foolishness is a word that describes the opinion of the foolish and ignorant of the world. Maybe they are just too proud. Maybe they just had never had opportunity to hear Maybe they just think they can do it without all of that or there are many other ways to God. But whatever it is, they are perishing because they hear the message of truth and they think it foolish. The word perishing means destroyed. It doesn't mean you will be destroyed. It means you are now in the process of destruction. In fact, the word perishing means hollow, empty, meaningless, which is significant because that's where people are living without Christ. You can have everything the world offers, health and wealth and fame and everything else. You can have everything the world offers, but if you do not have Jesus, if you have not believed the message of the cross, all you have in life is empty, hollow, and meaningless. It amounts to nothing. It amounts to nothing. 
But, Paul said, the message of the cross is the power of God to those who believe it and are being saved. Being saved from death and perishing and eternal destruction. It's the power of God. The word is the dunamis in the Greek. It means, it's the word where we get our English word dynamite. The message of the cross is the power of God, the active, explosive power of God to save from sin those who believe the message of the cross. And communion is a precious reminder of the power of God in the message of the cross. But what is the message? Well, there's a lot of aspects to it. The mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God, all of that and much more. But there's two things I want to focus on today that we cannot afford to miss that are part of the message of the cross. And that's this. The message of the cross is that there is only one way to God and that we are powerless to save ourselves. The message of the cross is there is only one way to God. In John 14... Jesus is speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper. They are troubled because he's told them they're le- he's leaving. And he says to them in one of the most moving and comforting words Jesus ever spoke in John 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. And here's the part the world hates. No one comes to the Father except through me. Only one way seems foolish to so many. We are a people that loves options, and retailers know that. A few years ago, I was going into a store. I wanted to get a new pair of golf shoes. Why, I'm not sure. My golf game's so lousy, the shoes aren't going to help me. But anyway, mine were worn out. I walked in there, and I said to the young man there, do you happen to carry FootJoy golf shoes? He said, yes, sir. We have 106 different styles of FootJoy. 106. I said, well, I don't have a lot of time. Could you narrow it down to maybe 10 for me to take a look? And he said, oh, not only that, we've got hundreds of other brands that have hundreds of styles. You see, why do, why do stores do that? Because they know what? If you go in there and say, do you have any... Foot joy golf shoes, and they say, no, but we got this one pair over here. It's a size eight. That's all we got. You're walking out of the store because we want options, and we don't go back where there are no options. We think it's foolish if there are no options. That's why the message of the cross, the message of salvation in Christ alone, seems so foolish to so many because there are no options with this but one. Jesus is the only way. People don't miss this. Satan offers options. God offers a way. One way. It was the upper room, the last supper before Christ was to go to the cross the next day. Hostile crowds were outside, disappointing news on the inside. Jesus said, I'm leaving. But he tells them, do not be afraid. Remember in whom you believed. Believe also in me, 
know where I'm going and I'm coming back to get you. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas speaks up and voices the concern of the group. And he says, Lord, in verse 5, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Every time I read that, I'm thinking, Thomas, what do you mean you don't know where he's going? He just told you, I'm going to my father's house. Are you listening? God reminds me, Larry, how many times have I spoken to you and you're not listening? I'm going to the Father's house and I'm coming back and you know the way. Thomas says, well, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said in verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me, no one. The message of the cross is that there is only one way to God and eternal life, only one way to be saved from sin and eternal death. Jesus is the way, he is the only way. That's why Jesus told the crowds that he was the gate. Remember that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7? I'm the gate through whom you must come in order to come to God. Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and few find it. The way to destruction is like a freeway to hell. It is loaded with people. And Satan is sure to be there with all the billboards on the freeway offering all the different options to make people feel very secure and very good about the road they're on, but they're on a freeway to destruction. Those are the perishing. But the way to life is narrow. It's only one person wide. You come through Christ who is the gate, the way, or you don't come at all. That's the way of those who are being saved when they believe the power of God and the message of the cross. You see, the truth is there are not many gods, there's only one. There are not many ways to God, there's only one. In the first service this morning, there was a lady here who was very steeped in Buddhism, Hinduism. She gave me this book about all the different gods that could save me. And I said to her, ma'am, this, this book is full of options that come from the evil one. They're all a lie. They're all a lie. You're, you're on a road that's leading you to destruction. What you need is Jesus in your life. He's the way. These are false. He is true. You come through the gate and you'll find what you're looking for. You're looking for God, you're going to find him. There's one God. And Jesus is the only way to him. She walked off saying nothing. I don't know what God will do with that, but I'm telling you, the world is full of people like that. They may not be Buddhist Hindus, but they are full of options. Full of options. I don't know if you ever heard of Billy Sunday, former baseball player and famous evangelist, who once said, I want to tell you that the way to heaven is a blood-stained way, and no man has ever reached it without Jesus Christ, and he never will. That message is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. You know, I have family members who still don't believe. I have a brother I love dearly, hasn't yet believed, or his wife, or his kids. 
or a number of other aunts and uncles and cousins and others. And I keep sharing the good news with them, but many times they just laugh it off or ignore it or don't want to talk about it because to them, for whatever reason, it's foolishness. But I keep sharing it with them. And the real issue is not what about them. The real issue today is what about you? What about you here in this room? What about you who are listening right now online? Do you believe the message of the cross? Because if you still think it foolishness for any reason, that is the evidence that you are perishing. But if you believe it, that is the evidence the power of God has been released in your life and you are being saved. And not only that, there is only one way to God, but the message of the cross is that we are powerless to save ourselves. The Apostle Paul, who called himself once the chief of sinners, who was a man of righteousness, a man who kept the law, a Pharisee of Pharisees, doing everything he was taught to do in order to earn your right way to God, he was the one who when he wrote to the Roman church in Romans 5 verse 6 said, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Wow. You see, sometimes no matter how badly you want something, you don't have the power to get it. You don't have the power to do it. There's a lot of people that want to be saved but they want to do it their own way, in their own time, by their own righteousness. But they're powerless. They're powerless. A few years ago, a long years ago now, I have to keep saying, when my kids were small, I used to give them piggyback rides on my back. Now my son's bigger than me. I'm not trying it. Anyway, back when they were little, you know, you get down on all fours and they get on your back and you're like the horsey and you're going around all over the house with three kids, you're wearing the skin off your knees. Let me tell you. Anyway, when we got done with the rides that day, my littlest one, Kimmy at the time was about three, says to me, daddy, I want to give you a horsey ride. (laughs) Okay, Kimmy. So she gets down on her hands and knees and I gently lower myself on her back trying to help make this work, but she keeps going lower and lower So I keep going down. Pretty soon she squashed flat on the floor with this 200-pound guy on top of her. And she she says to me, Daddy, I can't move. I can't get up. I said, well, how come? She said, you're too heavy. You're too big. You see, she wanted to give Dad a piggyback ride. But the fact is, she's powerless to do it. In fact, if I'd have stayed sitting on her with my full weight, she'd still be there. (laughs) She had the desire, but she's powerless. Paul said that's the same thing we'll discover if we try to solve the sin problem on our own. Sin is too heavy. It's too big. 
It separates us from God and we are powerless to do anything about it. That's why he said in Romans 5 verse 6, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The word powerless is exactly what you think it to mean. Feeble, weak, impotent. But it implies in it the desire to want to do this thing but being totally impotent to accomplish it. You are powerless to do it. You, you cannot do it. All human effort to save ourselves by whatever means only leaves us dead in our sin because we are powerless to do anything about it. The power of sin and death is just too big. It's too heavy. It's too great. Paul said in Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have not met God's righteous law or his standard. We've all fallen short of it. All of us have sinned. There's no exceptions. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, he said, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead. Now, I've done a lot of funerals as pastor here over the years. I've buried a number of my own family members. And I'm telling you, you put those bodies in the ground, they are dead. They are powerless to change their situation. That's what sin does to a human being. You may be breathing and feeling and doing all those things, but you are dead. You have no connection with God and you have no ability to change that. You're powerless. But that doesn't stop people from trying. Because they still think, well, there's got to be something I can do. That was the plague of my mom for years. There's a few things I got to get right before God will accept me. I said, no, mom, you got it backwards. You can't save yourself. While you're powerless, Christ died for you. He proved his love for you. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Do you remember the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, verse 16, this guy who lived by the law? who was a good man by everybody's measure, who was religious, who was wealthy, which at the time was viewed, do you have the blessing of God upon your life? He comes to Jesus. You remember what he asked him? Good teacher, what must I do? What good thing must I do to be saved? To have eternal life. Did you hear it? What must I do? That's where a lot of people are at. What do I have to do? That's where they stay stuck. Remember, Jesus told them, oh, you want to do something? Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then come, go give it to the poor and come follow me. And the guy went away. Giving all his stuff away wouldn't have saved him. Following Jesus by faith would have, and he wouldn't do it. So then after he left, you remember what the disciples said to Jesus? Man, if that guy can't be saved, this good, righteous, religious man can't be saved, who can be saved? Remember what Jesus told him? With man, it is impossible. But not with God. For with God, all things are possible. We are powerless to save ourselves, but God can save anybody who believes the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's the message of the cross. That's why he said in Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
why he went on to tell the Romans in Romans 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, he is God in human flesh, he is Yahweh, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You ask people today, are you saved? Oh yeah, I'm saved. That's the wrong question. But you ask them, are you saved? Oh yeah, I'm saved. Well, how are you saved? It's always this stuff. Well, I'm saved because I'm a good person. I go to church, I got baptized, I take communion. I had one guy tell me, I have a brother who's a pastor in Texas. That's your salvation? You see, we always want to have some part in it, don't we? But we don't. In fact, the more you insist that I got to do something to have my part to be saved, the further from God you move, the further away from salvation you go. You got to call on the name of the Lord. You got to believe the message of the cross. Paul said to the Romans, we are powerless, but God isn't. Chapter 5, Romans verse 6, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He demonstrated his love for us in this, Paul said. The love of God, justified by his blood, saved from God's wrath, no longer God's enemy, reconciled as God's son through his death, saved by his life, only God can do that. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, that sacrifice was so complete it accomplished your atonement, meaning that his death paid for your sin. It accomplished propitiation, which means his death satisfied the wrath of God against your sin. If you don't have that, you're still under his wrath, no matter how good you are. It also was the one that reconciled. His death reconciled us to God. That that separation that all of us have without Christ would be a separation we'd endure forever. But Jesus paid the price to reconcile us with God. Therefore, the Bible says, we are going to share in his glory and we are going to share in his joy forever. That's what God did. You can't do it. Only God can do that. He's the only one. No wonder Paul said the message of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. So the question is, are you being saved? Have you believed the message of the cross? Because when you believe the message of the cross, Jesus comes to live in you. It changes you. Changes your perspective, changes your priorities, changes the way you see the world, changes what's important to you, changes the way you see eternity. Doesn't it stand to reason? That you cannot be the same person when Christ comes to live in you as you were when he wasn't living in you? He changes you. And that change that he works in us is the power of the cross. That's what the power does, the power of the gospel. Jesus' power changes us, makes us into what we weren't. And through us, he wants to display that power, the message to all of those who will hear.
And boy, when people see the change, the true change of Christ in your life, it's powerful. I was reading a piece by um, Bob Page. He's a pastor from Crystal Lake, Illinois. He was given a sermon one Sunday, and he was talking about a pastor friend of his also from Crystal Lake named Steve Yeschek. Uh, Steve, Pastor Steve lost his sister Judy after a five-year battle with cancer. And when Steve was talking about her story, he said, my sister was a woman who was a party animal, a big drinker with a self-contented lifestyle. She was someone everybody loved because she exuded excitement and a thrill for life. When I tried to share Christ with my sister over the years, she would laugh it off. It was foolishness to her. And she'd just keep partying. But at the age of 44, her world caved in. She found out she had breast cancer. She later learned that her husband had cancer too, but adding to the devastation of those two blows, she discovered her husband had been having an affair all this time. He subsequently announced he didn't love her anymore, and he left her. It was in that context, Steve said, that my sister began to ask eternal questions. And she was finally listening to the message of the cross. And to make a long story short, she she prayed to receive Christ as her Savior. And from that time until her death, Jesus and his word and his purposes became her priority. When the same, with the same gusto she lived life as an unbeliever, she now approached with her new life in Jesus. Her greatest aim was winning others to Christ. She boldly shared her faith even as she was undergoing surgery after surgery, praying for a miraculous healing from the Lord. But Judy ultimately came to see that the greater miracle would be her friends and family coming to know Jesus. So, even as she struggled for every breath in the hospital, she talked her way out of the hospital about 10 days before her death so that she could be baptized and publicly proclaim Christ as the only way of salvation. Judy invited everyone she knew in her life to come to her baptism service, and under the Spirit's anointing, she powerfully and urgently shared the message of the cross. Her 84-year-old father came to faith in Christ that night and was baptized along with her, along with her ex-husband, a number of nieces and nephews, a college roommate who was a New Age cultist, Her aunt came to Jesus. Her sister surrendered her life to Christ and many others that night at her baptism. Ten days later, Judy died. And even still, more people were coming to know the Savior through her life. When her brother Steve got up to read the message at her memorial that she herself had written, It was about the message of the cross. And when Steve was done reading her message, a hundred people came forward to bow down, crying out to God for salvation. A hundred people. 
People, that is the power of the message of the cross. That is the power of God. He's the only one who can do that. That's why Paul said in Romans 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said to them, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 17, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews. Foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Is the message of the cross foolishness to you? Well, it'll show by the way you live and what you believe. But if it's foolishness to you and you're still there, then that's the evidence you are perishing. But if you believe it, you believe the message of the cross, that's the sign that the power of God, the power of the gospel has been released in your life and you are being saved. People, I'm not at all ashamed to tell you today that I'm among those extremely foolish people who believe the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And I believed the message of the cross. And I know many of you do too. And I want you to know, if you're here today, it's never too late. Because those who believe and trust in this God will never be disappointed. That's what we're remembering today in communion. There's only one way to God. Jesus is his name. And we are powerless to save ourselves. But God can save us. And he will. When we believe what Jesus said, this bread is my body, this cup is my blood, it's given for you. As often as you eat it, remember me. The one who died in your place, who was buried and rose again. The only way to God. The only one who can save you. God, thank you for this reminder today. This is so simple. I wonder how in the world that it takes so long for me to believe this. But it's only by the power of God. I thank you for the people who spoke into my life and shared with me the good news, the message of the cross. One way to God, and we cannot save ourselves. So, Lord, today we come to this table, many of us who have believed and we come to say thank you. As our choir sang this morning, how can we do anything but give you thanks and offer to you our very lives? So Lord, as we break this bread and drink this cup today, we're remembering you. 
the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one who died, that the power of God and the gospel may save us when we believe. And we thank you for this. I hope you're honored today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.